G'day Dons fans and welcome to our second mid-season buy bonus episode of Don the Stat. I'm Ian Hume and I'm joined not just by my co-host Jonathan Walsh, but also by a group of our Patreon subscribers to dig into some of the burning questions regarding the state of Essendon Football Club in 2023. Firstly, Jono, how are you going? I'm good, thank you, mate. Long time no speak. Uh, coming straight off the back of uh, chatting to Shory last night. I'm Yeah, I'm good, mate. And uh, yeah, nice to have a little role reversal too and, and have you do the intro and, and me go second up. So no, I'm going well. That's good. And yeah, again, big thanks to uh, Robert Shaw for joining us last night. Um, the response has been fantastic as, as it was the first time that he joined us. Um, also want to acknowledge that we've been lucky enough to be joined by one of the generous training watchers that shares the insight with us in Rick Edwards. Rick, how are you doing? Yeah, g'day Ian uh, and, and everyone. Yeah, um, thanks. Uh, it's nice to nice to be here. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange week, isn't it? No, uh, no Bombers footy to look forward to. Yeah, well, that's why we we can have this opportunity to have a bit of a chat and, you know, see what people are interested in and, and hopefully we can give some insight there. Um, we're lucky enough to be joined by uh, fans of Essendon from, from all over the world. And uh, I'm going to throw to Toby for our first question. Toby was actually one of the first uh, guests on one of the Donnerstadt bonus episodes. Uh, he's a Bombers fan from Sweden. Uh, he's currently in the middle of on his lunch break from work. So I thought I'd give him first crack. Uh, Toby, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Um, I'm not actually uh, joining this meeting today with too many questions. I'm, I'm overall just very, very happy considering where we're at. From starting since I started following the Bombers, I haven't seen us this stable as a club or, or playing as well as we are with the system we do at the moment. So I'm just, in general, very, very happy. But I guess my question to the second half of the season would be regarding the stat that keeps getting thrown up everywhere um, about defensive transition mm. and how we can defend that better. I, I know we do really well when we when the ball gets inside our defensive 50, but how do we stop it from getting there as many times uh, during a game? Yeah, good question. John, do you want to do you want to start? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll give it a go. It, it is a good question. I I think the the thing that stops it ultimately is trying to win the ball back from the opposition further up the ground. I think we've seen a bit of a shift in that the last two weeks. We just haven't quite nailed the consistency. So the 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 metric or, or the stat that I've been using to, to kind of track our progress on that is mid zone turnovers. So they're, they're the number of turnovers we're generating between the 50 meter arcs. Um, and, it's the one that's getting used a fair bit in, uh, I don't know how frequently, Toby, you get to watch AFL 360 or the first crack over in, uh, over in Sweden. Uh, I guess it's on uh, uh, the, what's it called? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that that's the one that gets thrown around quite a bit because we're, we're ranked, I think 17th in the competition in, in that, which is, is obviously not great. I, I think what we're what we've been doing in the early parts of the year is just trying to solidify our back six and and make sure that that's really stable and and build some resilience there, which I think we've been seeing, and and we've been able to turn that into a weapon to to score from. In the first quarter against North Melbourne and the first quarter against Carlton, we were really effective at being able to to take territory, so win clearances and get the ball deep inside our fifty. And that means we're able to our defense is able to set up further up the ground. Uh, so in the first quarter against uh, Carlton on the weekend, I know I said West Coast uh, Carlton on the weekend, 
we had 10 mid-zone turnovers just in in that first quarter. And then it dropped away. I think we only had one in the second and, and, and one in the third. But I think that's an indication of of what Brad Scott is hoping we can achieve going forward on, on a more consistent basis. But it, it is it is rather dependent on us being able to win territory. We didn't get too many in the third quarter because we, we won clearance and then kicked the goal. So, um, you know, you, you don't give yourself an opportunity to win the ball back uh, in that situation either. So, yeah, I, I think when we, when we see Darcy Parrish coming to the side, who's obviously going to help us a lot with contested ball and... Um, and clearance, we'll be able to get more territory and we'll see our, our defence set up further up the ground. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that um, that answers your question. In the first five weeks of the season, we're ranked about seventh or eighth, though. So um, it's not like we haven't shown that we're capable of of being, you know, there or thereabouts. Um, we just, you know, that that's really fallen away in that period where we were getting smashed up in clearances. So, um, yeah, I think we'll start to see that improve. And I think even further on that, they are talking a lot about how we don't defend full ground transition very well. However, in terms of letting the ball go from end to end, however, we're much better at preventing scores from that movement than we were last year. So last year we were trying to play a much higher press and and teams were breaking through that and, you know, streaming through the center and, and being able to get scoring shots. This year, because we've owned the corridor a lot more, that movement's been around the boundary line, which has given our defenders more time to set up. And so teams are, teams are scoring one whole score less per game this season than they were last season from their defensive 50. Um, so even though the ball's still being moved fairly well, that, it's led to less scores because of the way we're set up. And also scoring from our back 50 is a real weapon for us. We score from our back 50 seven times per game on average. Um, and that's up two and a half times from last year. So it's a real strength of us to actually have the teams move the ball down the field and we can get them on the rebound. Now, is that going to be a sustainable model going forward? It's hard to tell. There's a lot of people saying that it isn't. However, you know, the game changes and the way teams are successful change a lot. And, and John pointed out on Twitter, actually, that you know, people have been talking about our uh, uncontested mark game. And, you know, it actually lines up with a lot of what Geelong did last year, even though people are sort of looking more at the Collingwood model as or the Port Adelaide model as, as the way you need to win a flag. It's not necessarily the case. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see how it plays out. I agree with John. I think they'll move more to a forward half um, game because uh, I think that probably is the more likelihood of success, but it doesn't mean we can't be successful also playing the way that we're playing. Yeah, and that that mid zone turnover stat we we average twenty six and a half a game. St Kilda are number one at thirty two and a half a game. There's not a huge difference between last and and best and then you you know the crows are number two who were where are they at the moment seventh or eighth richmond are outside the eighth their third and then you've got port adelaide and collingwood next to her obviously and, and melbourne who are up the top they're all on 31 so you know we're uh, we're not that far away um from that and at the end of round five we were averaging 30 so yeah again you know where the pieces are there i think there's just a, a an element of consistency with you know a relatively young team and also um, getting our our prime contested ball winners back in the side. They're going to help us to to get territory. At the moment, 
we're relying on intercepting in our back half to then take the ball forward. That that um, that contested ball game and improving that will help us to to be able to take territory from further up the ground and then and then therefore win the ball back further up the ground as well. So I hope that's answered your question, Toby. Cheers. That's all right. Awesome. Thanks for that. Um, next up is Jamie. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you might know Jamie as Silvertop Hurls. Jamie, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm um, good, Ian. Thanks for having me on and love the work you guys do. I listened to the podcast with Shory this morning. That was a cracker as usual. Um, always good to get uh, his perspective and, and listen to you blokes every week. So thanks for that. Just a, a question that we, we, we're hearing a lot, obviously, about the players that are the obvious ones, Nick Martin, who's doing you know a great job and maybe in All-Australian contention, et cetera. I'm just curious, have you got anyone in the team you think statistically who has surprised you, come from nowhere perhaps, that is doing better than you um, than you expected at the start of the year? I'll start, I'll start with that because um, I think Jono is a real big, keen, keen uh, defender of this player. And I didn't see Jai Menzi coming on as much as he did. I had big concerns about his ability to put on pressure as a forward based on what he'd done in the VFL in the time that we'd seen him and looking at, at what he'd done previously uh, when he was playing in the state leagues. Um, so he's really surprised me that he's come on as quick as he he has. And I think Jono probably can go in a bit more detail because, as I said, Jono's probably one of his biggest supporters um, out there. Yeah, I sort of none of these are, are statistical references. They're more so just to the eye. The, the thing that I like about Jai Menzi as a player is that he's got multiple strings to his bow. So uh, he's he's good at the ground, but he's also really strong in the contest and good overhead, which you don't typically get in a small forward. Uh, I think he's he's shown that he's pretty hard and, and capable of taking a bit of a beating. We saw that against Port where he wrapped himself around the point post or the goal post. Uh, and then when he had Butted um, Zebel last week, and and you know came back on the ground after a concussion test, uh, and and was involved late in the game, and and then played a, a really good game again next week. So he's just finding some consistency that I, I really like. He he hasn't come as a surprise to me, uh, but there's a few players that Sam Durham's one that I I didn't think had the consistency in his game to be able to play the role that that he does. Um, as well as he has this year. I, I saw him as a talent and someone that I thought was going to have a good career, but I think his ability to to run games out and stay in games for, for longer, um, we obviously saw what he did in Dreamtime and, and helped us win the game. And to be really flexible and go forward and pitch a goal, uh, to, to go back and defend as well, he's he snuck up on me a little bit. I think Kyle Langford's probably snuck up on most people. I, I don't think most of us thought he was... Uh, uh, what's he kicked 25 goals there there or thereabouts um i don't think the club saw him that way either given where they started him in, in round one no, no exactly right and you know that that's already a, a career high for a single season so i think um i think him and i think the other there's two others mate that i think have have not necessarily surprised me, but have had a contribution to the way that we're playing maybe beyond what the stat sheet is showing and and one's Andrew McGrath. I think his ability to go back and take the most dangerous forward 
or dangerous small forward and be really comfortable in one-on-one contests and on the last line has a meant we're not leaking goals to those types of players like we have in the past, but it's also enabled the likes of Ridley and, and Redmond and, and Hind when he's been in the team to get up the ground and, and be part of that end-to-end ball movement that has become a, a really successful part of our game. And then the last one is what Dyson Heppel has done. I, you know, I, I'm a, a massive Dyson Heppel fan and and always have been. But you know, I think even the most passionate Dyson Heppel fan was a bit concerned with what they were seeing two or three weeks into into the season. So his ability to go back and um, and be just a really calm influence around some some developing defenders and and even in moments last week against Carlton he just looked really assured every time he got the footy. And uh, even when it was in a contest or or there was a bit of chaos going around, he was really, really clean. So it surprised me he's been able to to wind back the clock as well as he has because he, you know, in years gone by, he, gone by, he looked quite battered and bruised. And then even to the start of this year, he just looked really unsure in his place in the side and, and, and probably – lacking some real confidence in his own ability. So the turnaround in him's probably been the biggest surprise for me. Yeah. I mean, Rick, I don't know if you have an answer for this, but given you've watched training over the past few years, I think the suggestion was that Heppel's injury worries weren't as big this year. He'd had a, a bit of surgery and had cleaned up a lot of these foot problems. Have you noticed at training, whether he's moving better um, or even just participating more because he's not having to manage injuries as much this year as he has the last couple? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really good point. Um, this this preseason, I think he was able to do everything, and and that's the first time, certainly in, in quite a few uh, preseasons, I, I'd say. Um, so yeah, he, he didn't uh, miss a beat uh, on, on the track this preseason. And as everyone knows, if you have um, a good preseason, it really does set you up to to have a good year. Yeah. Jamie, any um anyone for you that's that stood out? Was there anyone that we haven't mentioned that you've been impressed by in, in terms of how they've performed compared to what you thought they might be able to produce? Yeah, no, the two for me were, were definitely already mentioned. Kyle Langford, who I probably had as the sub if I picked my 23 at the start of the year and and, and love that he's now an elite forward for us. And and the other one, I'm glad you mentioned Hep, because I think we've all criticized Hep over the time and and, um, you know, even earlier in the year, it wasn't necessarily just was he in the team. It was we were scared when he had the footy. Like, I was sort of closing my eyes a bit. And now, as you said, this week, he was really calm, really sure. You know, the, the disposal's like a different person. So I love their improvement, even in the year, not only from what I expected at the start of the year. Yeah. It's almost like he's reverted back to his debut year when, yeah. you know, he came in and, he was really polished off half back and he had that he doesn't he doesn't quite have that that killer sidestep that he um that he did in his in his first season, but he's just replaced that with that experience and that that calmness, as you said there. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Um, next up is James. James, how are you doing? Good, mate. Um firstly a comment that followed by a question. So um a lot of talk about, you know, Essendon's game plan not going to stack up in big games. I think people forget that Brad Scott and this coaching group, what are they, 12 games together, 12 actual games together. And the team strikes me as they're not building a brand new game plan and trying to implement from a start. They're adding layers as they go would be my observation. So I think sometimes people need to chill with some of the stats they throw out. Um, 
I asked this question I think, to you, Jono, during the week. You told me to trust my eye, but you didn't give me your opinion, so I'll ask it again, which is um, a lot of talk about being last in the league for um, entries into forward 50 from defensive 50, but my eye tells me that while we're giving up a lot, we're giving them up wide and very shallow, whereas a lot of our entries appear to be a lot deeper, which allows repeat efforts at goal um, and putting scoreboard pressure on that way. I might be way off. I'm, I'm typically a ball watcher and don't really look at the, the whole ground as much. So I am interested in both of your opinions, if you agree or if you're seeing something different. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I uh, it, it certainly feels that way to me. I it's a hard one to to measure because we we don't have the the data that sits behind it. But the reality is we're conceding less scores uh, than we were last year, and we're um, we're generating those entries or, or taking those entries into our defensive fifty and converting them into scores ourselves at a at a higher rate. So I think we're we're we played thirteen games now. So we haven't quite played everyone, but we've played a big enough sample size of good teams and and not so good teams to to uh, you know take what we're seeing and the data that sits behind it as a a pretty good indicator of a level of improvement. And to be a, a two goal better offensively and a two goal a, a, a game better defensively, so a four goal you know net result, uh, I think is a is a pretty substantial. Um, improvement on last year and and that sets us up if you compare out we won seven games last year we've already won eight so we've improved from a win-loss ratio already but but that probably sets us up to have a if you compare our results last year to to have a 12 to 13 win season if we maintain that level of improvement and, and that gets us you would expect 13 wins would would get us in the eight this year so um yeah, I think that's coming off our ability to to intercept in our back half and to to force opponents into slower ball movement and sideways, um, or or into to lower percentage shots at goal. So, uh, so yeah, I'd like to have some data to to fully support that, but that that's certainly the way it looks to me. Um, yeah, Humi or, or anybody else, that, yeah, feel yeah. free to chime in. It's just it's just a snapshot. Um, I'm not sure those of you on Twitter, how many of you follow Liam? Uh, otherwise, uh, Crow underscore data underscore Cy. He he tracks a lot of ball movement position and, and scoring shot positions. And if you go find his scoring map from the the Carlton game, which sort of really talk um, supports what you you brought up there. Uh, James, in terms of where teams are taking their shots. And obviously this is just a one-off game. And I think uh, it's been said by a lot of people, but Carlton was sort of panicking and, and really just launching from from everywhere. But if you look at their, their where they're taking their shots from, you know, just, just from the eye test, you know, at least 10, 10 to 12 of their shots are from outside or, or just on 50. And, and most of those are on the flanks. And then if you look at where Essendon is taking their shots, there's probably three from the 50, and then the rest are sort of within that 40, 40 yard zone or 40 meter zone. So, I mean, I think what you sort of suggested there about trusting your eye and the teams are taking um, low percentage shots. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I think 
Another game that really stands out to me with that is probably the Port Adelaide game. Yes, Port Adelaide were getting a lot of shots and and that, but a lot of them were from sort of the pockets and, and or rush snaps from uh, stoppage in the forward line. So, you know, again, not very high percentage shots. So until other than probably the Brisbane game where Brisbane probably did get a few high, a lot of high percentage shots and we, we sort of, that's probably the first half of in a, in a game where we've not quite defended to the, uh, level that we have going uh, so far this season um, where we've sort of let that slip. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with what, what your eyes telling you there. Yeah. We're, we're ninth, I think, or eight, ninth in the competition for um, re- reducing scores or restricting scores. So op- opposition's um, score efficiency once they, they go inside 50. So, uh, you know, that that's not a bad place to build from. We're, we're conceding a lot of inside 50s, but we're not necessarily conceding a lot of scores. So, uh, yeah, so, you, you know, that that probably suggests why we're, we're sixth and not 10th, but also why we're sixth and not fourth, because I think we, we still need to improve that better than what it is. And back to Toby's question um, at, at the start, uh, we ultimately want to be turning the ball more often than we are further up the ground and, and, and conceding less inside fifties or fifties into our, our defensive 50. And, and for us to take that next step, to be a, a six place team, to, to be a, a top four team, whether that happens this year or next, where we are going to have to improve in that, but that doesn't change the fact that despite uh, the fact that we're conceding more inside fifties this year than we were last year, that defensively we're, we're a much better side and, and points against just prove that. So um, yeah. And, and conversely, we're third in the AFL for scoring once we get inside 50, which is uh, you know, only the Crows and, and Port Adelaide are better at us th- at doing that. So, and given we haven't had Peter Wright for 12 of 13 games, that's uh, again, not a bad foundation to build upon. Yeah. Uh, Toby, you've got another question. You want to jump back on there? Yeah, um, Elijah Tsaras is finally healthy and getting a run. Uh, how do you guys think that he could complement what we have in our midfield up until this day, uh, this season, going forward? If, if, if he's picked this season, how would he complement our midfield, do you guys think? Yeah, good question. Uh, I don't know if, you, if you've seen any... Uh, uh, of the clips from the VFL, but he did some really, really nice things on the weekend. Charlie Don's shared one where he picked the ball up um, out of a center clearance, sort of just at pace under pressure and, and bolted away. Uh, I think he's got some unique abilities that we don't have a lot of in, in that regard. Uh, we're in an interesting position. I was thinking about this the other day, actually in a year that, was meant to be about development and finding out about players. You'd almost think it'd be worth bringing him in next week and playing him the last 10 games and get 10 games under his belt to, to build him up for next year. We're also six on the ladder with an opportunity to, to build upon that and, and, you know, get a home final and, and, and maybe win our first final in a long time. We, we've got some big games that we're going to need to win to be able to do that. But um, how Brad Scott and his, his coaching staff, balance that from a selection perspective, I think is going to be be really interesting. But I'd imagine they'd be really keen to get games into him. I think in the short term, he gives us some run on on the wings. I, I don't think we have a natural third winger um, to, to give Martin and 
and Durham a break. Uh, so I think that's probably where he starts his senior career. But I think ultimately he he pushes Dylan Shield out of our midfield mix and, and takes his role and, and provides us something pretty similar to what Dylan Shield at his best does, and that's that real explosive run out of out of stoppages and out of clearances. Thanks, Toby. Uh, Vince, you're next up. Thanks, guys. Um, great to see you all and, and have a chat. A um, couple of quick comments. The first one is about surprising players. I'm surprised that, like I'm probably, you know, um, John Minzy's biggest fan as well, being a Tassie boy, but also I just love the toughness that he brings to the team because, to be frank, we've been an incredibly soft team for the last decade and, um, you know, we've seen some of that change over the last, um, uh, you know, a couple of years. And in particular, I think this year there's been a renewed focus on it under under Scott. So that's been a really good thing for him. But what surprised me is that he's stayed in the side as long as he has. I guess that's because he's been playing his role and has been kicking goals and what have you. But Waller's gone out, um, Davey's gone out, and Menzies held his spot. So I'm you know really happy for him, but I was surprised by that. Uh, the other thing is that um, Peter Wright, of course, um, first makes his comeback to the side and then travels to Tasmania um, to participate in the Dark Mofo Winter Feast. He's been seen by millions of people um, commenting all over the place. So um, rather than go down and stalk him and take photos and video for all your um, pleasure, I'm here having a chat to you blokes. Um, I think you made the wrong question- choice there. should have done more video of Team Peter. would be pretty happy. I've got some, um, sent by other spies. My question is, and I think you touched on it, John, um, is is the, I think, um, you know, my view is that the, the two wing, the two genuine wingers that we've got, that we've found in Martin and, and Durham are actually um, making a, a bigger impact. Um, you know, do you think, you, guys, do you think that um, those two genuine um, two-way running players uh, are making the impact um, that we're seeing and, and that's being reflected. I think that's made a huge difference to the team. I think you're right, Sartis really is, you know, pushes uh, Dylan out and is a genuine um, potential winger. I still think Nick Cox is is potentially a, a genuine winger as well. Um, uh, and that's, I guess, the second part of my question is, um, you know, uh, what of Cox? Where's he going to fit? Yeah, good questions, mate. Um, I'm not sure if um, uh, that was a, if this is an Essendon podcast or a, or a Tasmanian tourism one, but um, <laughs> uh, just quickly on John Menzies, he's kicked 15 goals for the season. So that would have put him sixth in our goal kicking last year uh, overall. And we're only 13 games in. So um, Archie Perkins kicked 16 in 18 games last year and, and Matt Guelfi 17 in, in 20 games. So I think that adds a little bit of context on, on what he's been able to do this year so far. Um, I, I, yeah, Martin and Durham are, are doing a lot defensively and offensively. We, we lack height in the back line and that's something that Brad Scott's talked about a fair bit. So their ability to get back and help 
we leaked goals at stoppages in our back 50 last year too. And and both of those guys, if you if you watch whenever there's a throw-in or a ball up in our back 50, you'll see one of the two of them. More recently, it's been Martin. Um, earlier in the season, it was more, more frequently, it was Durham. They'll sit goal side, so their backs to our goal um, on their own uh, just to try and shore up and give us an extra number at that contest. Uh, so they're, they're playing a really important role there. I, we spoke about it a little bit last night with with Shory. Last two weeks, we've seen Martin place in some different roles. So he started um, he started against North Melbourne at half forward and was a real key to our ball movement. He got in the corridor and, and was able to set us up going forward. And uh, you know, anytime you've got Nick Martin kicking the ball forward to the center from the corridor, good things are, are going to happen for our forwards. So I, I suspect that that we would like him to do a little bit more of that. And he also went into the centre bounce in that third quarter last week and, and got his hands on the footy a couple of times, which uh, was uh, music to my eyes. That doesn't really make sense, does it? But um, something that I, uh, yeah, I, I, I really pleased me. So I think getting someone like Sardis or Cox into the side to play on a wing, I, I think really really will help to allow us to use Nick Martin in, in some some more dangerous positions at times and just have the flexibility to move him around. Uh, we've also got the challenge of getting Parrish and Setterfield and Shield back into the team at some point as well. So it is going to be tricky. I I like Cox on a wing. I like Cox in the midfield. I, I like him in the ruck. I, I'm not one who's on settling him down. I think his strength is his athleticism and his ability to play in multiple positions. He just needs to play 40 and I think you know, whether that's in the VFL for the rest of the year or, or we see him at the AFL level, I, I, I don't really care in the nicest possible way. I just hope we get 10 or 12 games out of him and he gets some continuity. Um, I, I think probably coming in and playing half back in the short term might be his best role in the AFL to get some confidence. He reads it well. He's got the height um, and, and we need some height back there. And, uh, I, I've used this analogy before, or comparison before. I, I like what Geelong did with Blitzars. I think that's the pathway for for Nick Cox. Um, start him at halfback at, at AFL level, get some games under his belt, and then and then just move him around the ground and use him wherever you need him. He can play in the ruck, he can play as a midfielder, he can go forward and, and stretch a defence. So, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, just to reiterate, I'm, I'm really not one who supports just settling him down. I think that's taking away from the attributes yeah. that he's got. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And Cox is probably, you know, not quite as athletic as Blitzarves is given Blitzarves background, but also Cox has probably got better footy skills than Blitzarves did, particularly when Blitzarves starts. So, you know, there's, there's a possibility there that, you know, he could be a new archetype of a, of a player, you know, people say, well, he's too tall for the wing or he doesn't have the skills. Well, you know, again, it's not necessarily always about what's happened in the past. It's about what, you know, he could be the first Nick Cox and then suddenly, you know, every side's looking for a 200-centimetre winger um, that can run around there. Yeah. Thanks, Vince. Um, yeah, uh, Jamie's back with another question. Jamie? Hi, guys. Probably following on a bit from a, a bit of your, your answer there, Jono, um, obviously, we've got some midfielders to come back in the in the short term, and we've oh, I'm sure we've all been super impressed with what Hobbs and Caldwell and even this week Archie's done in the centre bounces. Um, 
uh, uh, two parts. One, what do you think we'll do with the mix when all of them are available in the one side? So um, how will we share midfield around? And second, when the guys like Caldwell and Hobbs aren't in the guts, where do you think we'll use them? Yeah, I think that half-forward role has become so important in footy, hasn't it? Because the they need half-forwards now need to basically be able to play as midfielders. They need to be able to get up to, to stoppages and contests and, and be involved there. They need to be able to get back and help your defence, and then they need to be able to get forward and and kick goals. So so the time that Hobbs and Caldwell have spent playing forward this year, I think is going to hold them in, in really good stead. Uh, I think it's, you know, Darcy Parrish did that early in his career as well. So I, I think the Parrish is one of the best clearance and contested ball winners in, in the competition. So I think he comes in and, and plays uh, most of, of his minutes in, in the midfield. And then I think the the others just end up, uh, you know, I don't want this to be seen as necessarily potting players because that's not really what what we're about. But um, uh, you know, Hobbs playing forward, whilst we ultimately would like to see him play more midfield time, is still an upgrade, I think, on someone like Will Snelling. And and I think Hobbs can contribute there as much as Will can, plus give us the upside that he's a player who's got you know, a, a higher ceiling and, and a lot more to add in in the future, um, it, you know, likewise for Caldwell. So I think we'll end end up moving to a, a midfield rotation that has six or seven or eight closer to what Collingwood and, and the other team, you know, top teams are doing. And we'll be able to rotate and, and manage their minutes both in the midfield and on the bench over, you know, sort of three or four week blocks. So I think it'll just change a little bit from week to week. And and that'll give us the flexibility to be able to do something like we did on Sunday night where Caldwell really hadn't been playing midfield until the third quarter, comes in, you know, relatively fresh and, and lots of energy. And and he's um, he's able to really run over the top of the Carlton midfield who had tied a little bit. Think back to that Fremantle game last year um, where – you know, at, at halftime, we were sort of in the game, but our mids had been, our three mids had pretty much been in the midfield the whole game. And and um, Fremantle bought Mundy and um, uh, his name escapes me now, the guy they got from the Gold Coast in, um, you know, off the bench who hadn't Brody. spent much, uh, yeah, Brody, um, who hadn't spent much midfield time early in the game and they just ran over the top of us. So, yeah, I, I think we, we have the opportunity just to turn that into a bit of a weapon for us. I think, one thing that came out of the Carlton game was the role that Archie Perkins played on on a Patrick Cripps um, and how well he did there. And I think that, for me, that probably makes Setterfield the least likely to come straight back in. If You know, the main reason why Setterfield was, was brought in was to be that bigger body at contest and to play on, you know, players like a Cripps. And if Perkins can do that, and we know that Perkins has got exquisite skills and, and the like, if Perkins can do that, he's probably going to be more uh, more attacking going the other way as well. And I think people that he plays on are going to have to worry about what he's doing more than they would have to worry about a Will Setterfield. Um, so I I expect that, you know, as Jono said, Shield maybe comes back into that half forward role that he was playing a lot at the start of the year. Parrish is straight into the, into that centre square rotation. Um, and then instead of, you know, 
it was really well highlighted that the first four weeks we were only running four players through that midfield. I'd expect that to go up towards more of a six and probably go to more of, say, a Collingwood model of of centre bounce rotations as opposed to a, a Melbourne 2021, which was basically um, uh, Oliver Petrarca and Viney basically doing the bulk of it. So it, it can work. Um, obviously, they won a premiership doing it. But if you look at teams like Collingwood doing now, like the Bulldogs um, tend to do in terms of rotating players. Geelong did it last year in terms of rotating players. I think we'll move more towards that model. And as you say, the, what we've learned about players with with those three, you know, key centre bounce midfielders out has set us in good stead to, to have a better rotation. And it may be that, you know, once they reincorporate them, it, it, we might have a couple of down games because they don't get it the mix right. Um but you you would trust based on what you've seen that they would adjust quickly um, over a couple of games and fix those issues so it it works well f- moving forward. Just a little uh, update, Essendon connection. Quinton Narkle just kicked his first goal for Port Adelaide. There's going to be a few people on Twitter that are um, going to be pointing that out, I think, given <laughs> their responses to the mid-season draft. Um, but, yeah. Uh, next question is Matt and Matt is from Minnesota. And also I think it's probably five forty-eight in the morning there where you're, where you're at. Is that right? Yeah. Good, 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 uh, good tracking there. The coffee is just starting to have its effect. So it took this long for my brain to finally catch up. That's right. Or at least Thanks I for think joining it's us. caught up. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for doing this. Um, something that I, I, there's been so much talk about what a, what a young young team we've got um and something that stood out to me i don't know that it stood out to me on the on the first time through the game but on the rewatch i noticed it um i, I forget if it was his first or second goal but peter wright um had uh you know coming off of missing most missing the, you know the first half of the season in the way he did and with the big heralded return, you might expect that, you know, when he gets that goal that he's going to be spending so much time celebrating. But I noticed that he jumped almost right into, you know, there was celebration, but then he was pointing around the ground and, and it looked like he was kind of having a little bit of uh, leadership sort of uh, discussion, pointing things out to some of the other players right away, which I, I, I thought stood out a little bit to me. So I guess my question is, with such a young team, you know, the best teacher is always experienced, but that leadership from the veterans that we do have is, is really critical. And, you know, aside from the obvious and Zach Merritt, do you see anybody who is really standing out to you as really stepping up and helping to um, helping to guide uh, some of our younger players and really take that leadership role? And then I guess the follow up is to what extent does that come from coaching um, and from the culture that, that Brad Scott's trying to instill? I think the most obvious answer to your question there is Jake Stringer. You know, I think he's he's leading the way by, you know, he he he's Jake Stringer. He wins games off his own boot. He in twenty twenty one, that's that second half of the season, he was probably the best player in the competition with what he was what he was producing, and and that was through being you know explosive centre square midfielder and kicking miraculous goals and what you've seen from Jake Stringer and, and he's leading by example by doing the tough stuff. So obviously the moment against North Melbourne where his his two efforts really led to that that final goal that, that won us the game. But you know, if you see the way that he he played 
you know, even against Carlton, the way he went to that midfield and he played that real bullocking role that protected those younger players like a Caldwell and a Hobbs so that they could then be more effective. They weren't getting belted around as much with their younger bodies. And so as sort of Jono pointed out in that third quarter, they could explode there. Um, so I think, I think because he's, he's, he seems like it's, as much about a buy-in. So obviously Brad's, I imagine Brad Scott's worked with him. He was held back at the start of the year. They probably could have brought him in um, as other coaches would have done in past seasons and, you know, brought him, brought him in before he was ready, but they waited and, you know, he, he still took a couple of games to work into the season, but the way that he's playing, yes, he's, he still tries for a couple of miracle goals, you know, every once in a while, you know, sometimes he, he kicks a, a reverse torp from outside 50 and, and it, and it comes off, but the, the way that he is committed to the team first game, you know, majority of games is setting a really strong example that even a player like him has to do the team things as well. And I think that really sets the tone for every other player to make sure that they are also doing the team things that, you know, even the less talented players, you, your focus first has to be team first football. So I think he's really stepped up in that, what you've described there. Yeah, I think Peter Wright's a, I've only obviously observed him from afar like like all of us, but he, he just strikes me, well, you hear a lot about his professionalism. So he strikes me as someone who's a real student of the game and, and he's quite switched on. I, I wasn't surprised to see him come back and, you know, have a real impact straight away because, yeah, everything you hear about him um, is really positive. I know Dean Solomon was spent a lot of time with him when he was at the Gold Coast and, and had a lot to do with getting him really fit and, and ready to go ahead of last season uh, and and even the, se- the season before, so his first season at Essendon. So I think he's just someone who is continuously looking to improve and, and is a real team um, player. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised at all at that behaviour. The one interaction that I've had with him, um, uh, I was up at the, the game in Brisbane at the Gabba last year and um, – down on the fence, being a nuffy with my nephews, they were, they were getting their their jumper um, autographed, and and he took a real interest in in those guys, in my nephews, and um, asked them whose number they had in their back and why they chose that player, and um, like you you just tell that he was really passionate about Essendon and about the club and about his teammates and and all of those kind of things. So um, uh, yeah, I, I think that says a lot about his mindset. I think Dyson Heppel's finally found his. Um, his groove again as a leader. Um, uh, so he's really taking control of that back line now and, and um, ensuring that that they're switched on and, and, and everyone knows their role. And, and I think it's taken him a little bit of time to adjust to not being captain and, um, and, and, you know, not wanting to step on Zach's toes. I think Zach's obviously elevated himself a lot. And I get the suspicion just from observing that, that, Zach and Brad Scott are really big on just empowering everybody to be leaders and, and take ownership of their own destinies. And I think we're seeing that in games, you know, um, Kyle Langford against Richmond and against North Melbourne goes and puts himself on the wing at the back of the square at, at the center bounce so he can get behind the ball and defend. And there was no runner out on the ground telling him to do that. He just went and, and did it. Um, then, uh, you know, Sam Draper, you know, puts uh, or not necessarily puts his hand up, but is prepared to to go and be the man and, and take that mark and kick that goal against Richmond. So I, I think, um, I, yeah, I think there's just lots of uh, collective examples of where guys have been prepared to 
to put their hand up to to take ownership. Archie Perkins with that goal on Anzac Day where, you know, he basically ripped it out of Jake Stringer's hand and said, no, nah, I'm going to be the one to go back and kick it from 50. So uh, I think um, it, it, there's probably a, f- a fair bit of the environment that Brad Scott is is creating that's allowing these guys to be themselves and to to stand up and, and take ownership. Yeah, and I think just finally on that, I think only having one named captain and one named vice captain actually puts a lot of responsibility back on the rest of the players. You know, sometimes with leadership groups, when when they get so big, if you're not in it, it makes you feel like it's not your responsibility to be a leader. Whereas we've got a named captain and named vice captain, but then everyone else, you know, that, that means that everyone else also has to lift their level of responsibility as well because you don't have that extended leadership group that you otherwise might have had. So I think that's also part of it. Uh, Rick, you're next. You've got a question as well. Yeah, um, thanks, um, Ian. Um, before I get to the question, just a, a quick uh, comment. Um, uh, yeah, I, I certainly agree with with John Owen and Ian um, in terms of the team first thing. That's that's one of the really big things for me. I think uh, this year, and, and you're right about about Stringer. Also, um, it applies to to Langford as well. Uh, I know that it was only probably a week, maybe two weeks before the first game that they they went to him and said, oh, we want you to play in the back line. And um, he actually, he hadn't played back line for 10 years or something. And he uh, he said, yeah, no, no worries, I'll, I'll do that. And, and so he was prepared to do that. And then, of course, when, when Wright went down, they sent him forward and, you know, he was, he was also, you know, quite happy to play that role. So I think it's been a real uh, hallmark of, of our year. Um, my, my question is just in terms of the uh, the ruck combination, um, John Owen and, and Ian and anyone else. Uh, what what do you think we'll go with when when the whips are, are cracking? You know, in in August or um, September, if, if we get there, will we go with two recognised rucks, or will we go with Draper and you know someone else chopping out like a, a Wiedemann or a or or a, or a right? What do you think? Yeah, that. It's- Fair bit of crystal balling and wishful thinking at the moment, isn't it? But you can't help but not think about what a, a final might look like when you're sitting sixth on the ladder at the bye. Uh, the two big questions for me, mate, and I, I'll answer it as to what I, I do, but is what we do with our rucks and whether you're not, whether or not, assuming he gets some fitness and, and he's ready to go, uh, whether or not we Waller plays like if Waller's fit, how how do you leave him out of of a finals team either as the sub or in the twenty two? I think is going to be a really interesting one for for the coaches. But uh, I'm I'm not necessarily a fan of of two rucks as a rule, but you do need to have a second ruckman who is going to be or or, or a player who can play in the second ruck role uh, that is going to be at least enable you to to halve contests. And I'm not sure we've seen enough from Wiedemann to do that. What I would like to see a bit more of between now and the end of the season is something similar to what we saw on Sunday, uh, albeit Wiedemann didn't end up going into the ruck that often, and that is playing the two rucks and then and then subbing one of them um, in the last quarter and, and allowing Wiedemann to get a run on the ball and, and seeing whether we can find some form there. Um, but until then, I, I just don't think Draper's ready yet to be able to play another 10 or, or 12 or, or 
13 or 14 games this season as a number one ruckman and, and ruck 80% of minutes. I, th- I think he needs the help of, of Phillips. Yeah, I, I, I agree there. Um, I think it also depends on who you match up against. So obviously if you're coming up against Melbourne in assuming that they're still running Gorn and Grundy, I can't see a scenario where you wouldn't run the two rucks. Um, other teams, it may be more of a more of an option to to go the one and rely on the the second tall forward to act as the second ruck. Um, but yeah, Draper's not ready for that. And also, you know, I think people are really desperate to see Nick Bryan, but I think the only way Nick Bryan comes into the side on a, a long term basis is to be the number one ruck with his current skill set. I don't think he's quite got the round the ground um, presence that can mean he, he could be that second ruck that's only playing 30, 40% in it as the main ruck there. I think Phillips, you know, despite the fact that his output, you know, hasn't always been great, um, he's still able to provide, you know, that that contest and that that stronger body that I think we need to complement Draper at this time that I don't think Brian can quite do. Vince, you wanted to mention something on this, and I assume it's to support your uh, fellow Tasmanian, Andrew Phillips. I can see the smile on your face now. Look, I just think Phillips is actually technically a good ruckman, and um, and that's that's why he's played as much as he has played because he actually can win ruck contests. Um, uh, just listen to Shory on your p- latest pod. I hundred percent agree with him. Keep right out of any ruck contests if we don't want to risk him getting you know an ugly ruck injury. Um, you know, so that brings me back to where John O was on Wiedemann. You know. I, I'm not convinced that he's a second ruck either, um, and and you do have to select your teams based on um, on on matchups and 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 that I think Brian is really young, um, ruckman. You know, big guys take forever to 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 mature. Um, sure, he hasn't got got it all yet, but you know, I'm I'm really positive about his future. But you know, how long how long will he wait around for? That's the question. But for me, it's Phillips. Um, for pretty much every opportunity um, coming up in in the matchups that we've got, simply because he's a good he's a good tap ruckman, and you know he, he he gives a good contest. And Draper needs to be there because Draper turns the game around when J- Draper is Draper. So we've got to keep him playing um, for as many minutes as possible because he can inspire, you know, stringer like um, changes in our fortunes. Yeah, I, I think you're right there, mate. Phillips is a, a, a pretty good tap ruckman. Um, James uh, asked the question in the chat whether Wiedemann's been in the set of bounce at all. He he did against St Kilda. That was the game that we left Phillips out of. Uh, the interesting dynamic, Hume, to your point about picking and choosing on the opposition, and if they don't have two rucks, do we rest someone like Phillips? We were in that situation on Sunday against Carlton with Silvani and, and we played Phillips and it gave us a real advantage. So, you know, it, it can give you an ascendancy as well. Um, Draper's third in the competition for score or for Ruckman. Sorry, he's actually, he's equal second. He's equal with Sean, Sean Darcy for score launches. So for Ruckman, a score launches when they win a hit out and that or, or grab the ball out of the ruck and dispose of it. And then that results in a score. So, 
Um, so Draper of the Ruckman is equal uh, second in the competition. Phillips is 20th. So he's, you know, for a second Ruck, um, you know, if you expect that, you know, you'd have one Ruck, you know, 18 Ruckman, the number one Ruck at each side would probably be ahead of him anyway. Of the second Ruckman, then he's, you know, effectively um, you know, second or third. So, uh, yeah, he, he's doing a pretty good job in in being able to get his hand on the ball and 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 put it in the path of our midfielders um, for us to get then go and set up scores. And, and he did that a couple of times in the third quarter against Carlton. Well, look, I think we've got time for one more question, and James has put his hand up to to ask it. James, you've got the final question. Go, you've got the floor. Okay, um, you're not going to be probably not going to be able to answer this unless you've been preparing. But um, so I posted it in the chat. For me, it's changed a lot in the last twelve months. But I'd love both of your views around who is now Essendon's top ten players in order. I've tried. I've tried, and I kind of got stuck. So I'd love to get both of your thoughts. But you can post it and share it later. I mean. It'd be hard for me to think about like what exactly the order is. I can tell you who's probably moved into the top 10 from the start of the year. Obviously, Nick Martin is one. Um, I, think, I think that's a pretty obvious one. I think Langford has moved into the top 10 for a lot of people, given what he's done. Um, those are the two that really stand out. Um, I imagine there were probably would have been some people that wouldn't have had Andy McGrath as, as top 10, especially when he was playing as a midfielder. I think with his role... In the back pocket, which Jono touched on before, he he'd move into the top ten for me clearly there. Um, yeah, it's hard. Mason Redmond would have already been there based on his previous season. Peter Wright, obviously. Um, just trying to think. There's, a, I guess, there's a difference between important and and best as well. So I, I guess it's what you consider most important in terms of doing that ranking. Jono, any anything to add there? Yeah, I, I don't know how I'd I'd go about it. Um, I'd probably fall into the trap of going important rather than best. I think Zach Merritt is our best player, and uh, probably by a bit of a distance. Stringer is on at at his absolute best, but you know he he doesn't play. He's found a consistent level of performance this season, but but not at the level that um, that Zach Merritt's at. And, um, you know, he doesn't play like he did against Geelong every week. So uh, so he's probably not quite there. I think, um, you know, Draper has become really, really important. I think Ridley's become a really, really important player for us. Um, uh, Peter Wright's now back. I, I think the thing that's changed for us compared to, let, let's go, uh, you probably don't even need to talk about last year, but if you go back to 2021 when we, we made the finals and, and got touched up, we, we made the finals off the back of having some really good years from from like really really good years from Merritt and Parrish who are all Australian, and um, and that second half of the year from Stringer, and then we sort of didn't have a lot else to to really write home. You know, Hind was sort of up and down. It was his first year at the club and, and was okay, but in that season. Uh, and I think this is where it's changed. You know, Devin Smith wasn't the player that he was. He played 20 games. Uh, Braden Ham played 19. Tom Cutler played 13. Aaron Francis played 15 games, a pretty inconsistent footy. Alec Waterman played 14 games. Uh, Zach had, you know, he was, he'd really dropped off, played nine games. Marty Gleeson played six games and, and played in that final. I think what's improved is, is not so much our top 10, is actually our 
not even our bottom 10, but our, our sort of players 11 through to 26, 27. I think we've now got some real depth in, in that part of our list that, and we've seen that over the last month, haven't we? You know, Parish set a field and, and Shield go it go out and and right. If we had said we were going to run a month without those four in our team, we would have expected four losses, but we've had four wins. So, um, I yeah, I, I think it's that that next group, mate, that that's really changed. Um, but uh, we also have a, a group of players now that are really enjoyable to watch. You know. Um, uh, Archie Perkins is great fun to watch. I, I really enjoy watching Jai Menzi play because he just doesn't take any crap. Um, uh, you know, I really, I, I love watching the competitiveness of, of Andrew McGrath in, in one-on-ones that he he really excites me the way he goes about it. Um, uh, you know, Mason Redmond running off halfback and, and kicking goals from long range is really fun. Uh, and then even, you know, like, Alwyn Davey coming in and, and providing real spark and energy is probably, probably not in our best side just yet. But yeah, I, I think we've just got a, a deeper list at the moment than than what we've had in the past. So uh, yeah, uh, I've sat on the fence there, mate, and not answered your question directly. But um, but uh, yeah, hopefully I've given you something to think about. I was chatting to Charlie um, from um, what's his name now, Wanger Hanger, whatever it's called on his Twitter profile. I was chatting to him at the Essendon Kangas VFL game, as I tend to do when I catch up at the VFL. And he actually asked me this question, which was because every year you've got to, you have to delist a certain amount of players. I think that rule's still there. Who on the list? do you actually delist? And previous years, you could probably name half a dozen players. You could probably look at that. But there's actually not a lot of guys at the moment not deserving of a spot on a list or showing some level of um, potential. Mm. I mean, and you've also, it's also going to be three main list players as well, doesn't it? We're not counting rookies because you need to. I know that was the rule. I don't know if it still is or not, but yeah, that they, definitely they was the it, rule. They stopped it during the COVID years, but they brought it back. So you have to yeah. delist three from your primary list. You can... Um, you don't necessarily have to take three picks in the draft though, because you can promote rookies and then you can read rookie guys mm. that you delist, but you do still have to take them in the draft. Um, so yeah, mate, I, I, I don't know. Um, if you have a look at the guys that are out of contract, Alistair Lord, we haven't seen at AFL level yet, but, but he's only been in the system for two years. Phillips we've spoken about already. Um, and, you know, unless we could get a replacement who was going to be at his level, I'd imagine we'd be keeping him on. Waller, I wouldn't think that he or the club would put him through what he's been through in terms of his comeback to just be around for one year. I would imagine if he's still fit and, and got the hunger, he'd be um, ready to go. Zerk Thatcher's a keep. Uh, McBride's on on the rookie list anyway. Parrish, obviously, we want to keep. Dyson Heppel, uh, you know, if you had have asked a little while ago, you'd probably no, but now... Geez, he, he could be really important again for another year. Harrison Jones, uh, some people might disagree, but but for me, he's a he's a keep and an important player. Uh, Menzies definitely a keep, signing for life. Uh, Redmond to keep. D'Ambrosio keep it on the rookie list. Nick Martin's an interesting one, I think. Um, not necessarily a D list, but what do you do with him? And if he wants opportunities, do you do you look at making him go? And then and then Will. You Snelling. did say Nick Martin, then you realise not Nick Bryan. Uh, did I? Sorry, Nick Martin's <laughs> a contract for life. Um, I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, yeah, no, you, and, you're going to cost us and, our listeners talking like that. Well, a podcast will be dead if we're talking no, about tra- I, letting Nick Martin go. I, I think our listeners well and truly know that the love crush I have on Nick Martin. Um, no, Nick Bryan. Sorry, guys. Um, and then Will Snelling's the other one out of contracts. Um, and then probably the other one, 
that that might be looked at is um, James Stewart. He's got another year to run on his deal, but uh, you know hasn't played much footy the last couple of years. So, yeah, t- tough choice, mate. I, I don't I don't think there's anyone that that really stands out at the moment that you would say um, is is a clean cut. Um, you know, D list. There might be guys that want to trade and and we trade them for a draft pick or something like that to that would free up a list spot. But mm. yeah, I I think it's an, an interesting one and. and yeah, no doubt we'll have a, a deeper look at, into that as the the season um, ends. I I've got one question I I wouldn't mind asking um, Matt just for context. How do you go about watching watching games like what like a, a night game in in Australia or in Melbourne? What what time is that typically on for you? And and do you watch live or do you um, do you watch the replay? How do you go about it? So I I use the Watch AFL app. Um, Generally, I'll watch live if it's a if it's a late game in Australia. It's the early, it's early here in the four a.m. to five a.m. time frame. Usually four forty. Um, if it's the early game, then I can usually catch it at about. It's usually around ten ten or or midnight or something like that. The really tough ones, and I think the North Melbourne game was the was the last one that was like this. Are the ones that are mid afternoon. Um, late afternoon because those fall about one thirty in the morning here, um, two a.m. So if I'm going to miss one, that's the one I usually miss. I've tried going to bed early and getting up. Um, I've tried just staying up late, which used to be possible, but I've got a three-year-old, um, so now it's not possible. Um, so I, I did watch a couple of those. Now, now my son was born uh, March of 2020, so you know, COVID time. So that kind of screwed up the schedule a little bit, but there were a couple games in that 2020 season that I was up with him anyway. So I watched, I watched it on mute. Um, but yeah, those are the ones that are really tough and I'll usually watch yeah. on replay, but for the most part, I try to catch them live or at least part of them live. Yeah. Don't worry. Those um, 4.40 uh, PM Sunday time slots are pretty bad for us here as well. We don't like them either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that sprung to mind. We all complain about the the graveyard shift of a four forty Sunday, but um, yeah, Matt Matt's got to get up at one in the morning to try and catch it, so it's probably not as bad for us as as it is for you. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's awesome, mate. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. one of the real pleasures of, of this uh, podcast journey that Ian and I have been on is been connecting with um, with Essendon fans, not just in Melbourne and, and Australia, but but people like yourself and Toby who are watching abroad. So um, yeah, thanks for uh, sharing a little bit about your, your story. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we're going to wrap it up Um, before we go, just those who are remaining in the chat, I'm going to ask you one question and I just want a one word answer with no, um, with no justification. We're sitting at this point, eight and five, so eight wins and five losses. We've got uh, 10 games left to play. How many wins do we finish the season on? Uh, I'm going to start. I'm just going to go down the list that I've got here. Matt, I want to hear from you first. Just one word. How many wins do we finish on? 14. Thanks, Matt. James, want to hear from you? 14 also. 14. Jamie? I was going to say 14, but I'll be I'll be bold now and say 15 because I don't want to be like everybody else. That's all right. Uh, <coughs> Vince? Uh, 13. 13. Um, Patrick, do you want to 
you've, you've just been listening there. Do you want to add your point there? Your one word for the for the show? Yeah, I'd go 15 as well. All right. Thanks, Patrick. And finally, I'll go to you, Jono. Uh, I know we don't make predictions, but I'm going to try to put so, spot. So 21, mate. We'll win our last 10 and then three finals. So 21. That's that's a great answer. Um, I'm going to say regular season. I I'm going to stick with the hurt and say 14 as well there. Um, but yeah, look, everyone, thanks so much for for joining in. Thanks to everyone who who was listening and, and participated. Um, really appreciate your support. Um, obviously, you guys you know pay pay money to listen to us speak. So um, we really appreciate um, that support and just the fact that we got to interact with you, uh, in this forum, I, I think it was really worthwhile for us. I really enjoyed it. I can tell that Jono really enjoyed it as well. And I'm glad that, um, it seems like you guys have stuck around and, and, and listened to us. Um, I think we'll definitely do this again at, at the end of the season, um, in, in a similar frame and get, we'll hopefully see you all back, um, and, and hear what you've got to say. And we can all reflect on what we predicted and, and, you know, gloat or, um, commiserate, with how uh, right or wrong it turned out. Uh, Jono, before we go, any final words from you? No, just echo your thoughts. Thanks for, for everyone who joined it on, on this and, and everyone else who supports us uh, either as a Patreon or, or just with your feedback and and, um, and comments. That, that means a lot. So, yeah, and thanks to you, Humi, as always, for keeping us organised and, and keeping me on my toes. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, see you next week for the Fremantle game and go Dons.